Section 4 of Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rome by Emile Zola. Translated by Ernest Visitelli. Chapter 2, Part 2. As it happened, some six months previously, Dario also had taken up his abode at the Bocanera Palace in consequence of the death of his father and the catastrophe which had ruined him. Prince Onofrio, after adopting Prada's advice and selling the Villa Montefiori to a financial company for ten million lira, had, instead of prudently keeping his money in his pockets, succumbed to the fever of speculation which was consuming Rome. He began to gamble, buying back his own land, and ending by losing everything in the formidable krach which was swallowing up the wealth of the entire city. Totally ruined, somewhat deeply in debt even, the prince nevertheless continued to promenade the Corso, like the handsome, smiling, popular man he was, when he accidentally met his death through falling from his horse. And four months later his widow, the ever-beautiful Flavia, who had managed to save a modern villa and a personal income of forty thousand lira from the disaster, was remarried to a man of magnificent presence, her junior by some ten years. This was a Swiss named Jules Laporte, originally a sergeant in the papal Swiss guard, then a traveller for a shady business in relics, and finally Marchese Montefiore, having secured that title in securing his wife, thanks to a special brief of the Holy Father. Thus the Princess Bocanera had again become the Marchioness Montefiore, it was then that Cardinal Bocanera, feeling greatly hurt, insisted on his nephew Dario coming to live with him, in a small apartment on the first floor of the palazzo. In the heart of that holy man, who seemed dead to the world, there still lingered pride of name and lineage, with a feeling of affection for his young, slightly-built nephew, the last of the race, the only one by whom the old stock might blossom anew. Moreover, he was not opposed to Dario's marriage with Benedetta, whom he also loved with a paternal affection. And so proud was he of the family honour, and so convinced of the young people's pious rectitude, that in taking them to live with him, he absolutely scorned the abominable rumours which Count Prada's friends in the white world had begun to circulate, ever since the two cousins had resided under the same roof. Donna Serafina guarded Benedetta, like he, the cardinal, guarded Dario, and in the silence and the gloom of the vast deserted mansion, ensanguined of olden time by so many tragic deeds of violence, there now only remained these four with their estranged, stilled passions, last survivors of a crumbling world upon the threshold of a new one. When Abbe Pierre Fromont all at once awoke from sleep, his head heavy with painful dreams, he was worried to find that the daylight was already waning. His watch, which he hastened to consult, pointed to six o'clock, intending to rest for an hour at the utmost he had slept on for nearly seven hours overcome beyond power of resistance and even on awaking he remained on the bed helpless as though he were conquered before he had fought why he wondered did he experience this prostration this unreasonable discouragement this quiver of doubt which had come he knew not whence during his sleep and which was annihilating his youthful enthusiasm of the morning had the Bocaneras any connection with this sudden weakening of his powers? He had espied dim, disquieting figures in the black night of his dreams, and the anguish which they had brought him continued, and he again evoked them, scared as he was at thus awaking in a strange room, full of uneasiness in presence of the unknown. Things no longer seemed natural to him. 
he could not understand why benedetta should have written to viscount philibert de la choux to tell him that his pierre's book had been denounced to the congregation of the index what interest too could she have had in his coming to rome to defend himself and with what object had she carried her amiability so far as to desire that he should take up his quarters in the mansion pierre's stupefaction indeed arose from his being there on that bed in that strange room in that palace whose deep death-like silence encompassed him as he lay there his limbs still overpowered and his brain seemingly empty a flash of light suddenly came to him and he realized that there must be certain circumstances that he knew nothing of that simple though things appeared they must really hide some complicated intrigue however it was only a fugitive gleam of enlightenment his suspicions faded and he rose up shaking himself and accusing the gloomy twilight of being the sole cause of the shivering and the despondency of which he felt ashamed in order to bestir himself pierre began to examine the two rooms they were furnished simply almost meagerly in mahogany there being scarcely any two articles alike though all dated from the beginning of the century neither the bed nor the windows nor the doors had any hangings on the floor of bare tiles coloured red and polished there were merely some little footmats in front of the various seats and at sight of this middle-class bareness and coldness pierre ended by remembering a room where he had slept in childhood a room at versailles at the abode of his grandmother who had kept a little grocer's shop there in the days of louis philippe however he became interested in an old painting which hung in the bedroom on the wall facing the bed amidst some childish and valueless engravings but partially discernible in the waning light this painting represented a woman seated on some projecting stonework on the threshold of a great stone building when she seemed to have been driven forth the folding doors of bronze had forever closed behind her yet she remained there in a mere drapery of white linen whilst scattered articles of clothing thrown forth chance-wise with a violent hand lay upon the massive granite steps her feet were bare her arms were bare and her hands distorted by bitter agony were pressed to her face a face which one saw not veiled as it was by the tawny gold of her rippling streaming hair what nameless grief what fearful shame what hateful abandonment was thus being hidden by that rejected one that lingering victim of love of whose unknown story one might forever dream with tortured heart it could be divined that she was adorably young and beautiful in her wretchedness in the shred of linen draped about her shoulders but mystery enveloped everything else her passion possibly her misfortune perhaps even her transgression unless indeed she were there merely as a symbol of all that shivers and that weeps visageless before the ever-closed portal of the unknown for a long time pierre looked at her and so intently that he at last imagined he could distinguish her profile divine in its purity and expression of suffering but this was only an illusion the painting had greatly suffered blackened by time and neglect and he asked himself whose work it might be that it should move him so intensely on the adjoining wall a picture of a madonna a bad copy of an eighteenth-century painting irritated him by the banality of its smile night was falling faster and faster and opening the sitting-room window pierre leant out on the other bank of the tiber facing him arose the janiculum the height whence he had gazed upon rome that morning but at this dim hour rome was no longer the city of youth and dreamland soaring into the early sunshine the night was raining down grey and ashen the horizon was becoming blurred vague and mournful 
yonder to the left beyond the sea of roofs pierre could still divine the presence of the palatine and yonder to the right there still arose the dome of st peter's now grey like slate against the leaden sky whilst behind him the quirinal which he could not see must also be fading away into the misty night a few minutes went by and everything became yet more blurred he realized that rome was fading departing in its immensity of which he knew nothing then his causeless doubt and disquietude again came on him so painfully that he could no longer remain at the window he closed it and sat down letting the darkness submerge him with its flood of infinite sadness and his despairing reverie only ceased when the door gently opened and the glow of a lamp enlivened the room it was victorine who came in quietly bringing the light ah so you are up monsieur l'abbé said she i came in at about four o'clock but i let you sleep on you have done quite right to take all the rest you required then as he complained of pains and shivering she became anxious don't go catching their nasty fevers she said it isn't at all healthy near their river you know don vigilio his eminence's secretary is always having the fever and i assure you that it isn't pleasant she accordingly advised him to remain upstairs and lie down again she would excuse his absence to the princess and the contessina and he ended by letting her do as she desired for he was in no state to have any will of his own by her advice he dined partaking of some soup a wing of a chicken and some preserves which giacomo the big lackey brought up to him and the food did him a great deal of good he felt so restored that he refused to go to bed desiring said he to thank the ladies that very evening for their kindly hospitality as donna seraphina received on mondays he would present himself before her very good said victorine approvingly as you are all right again it can do you no harm it will even enliven you the best thing will be for don vigilio to come for you at nine o'clock and accompany you wait for him here pierre had just washed and put on the new cassock he had brought with him when at nine o'clock precisely he heard a discreet knock at his door a little priest came in a man scarcely thirty years of age but thin and debile of build with a long seared saffron-coloured face for two years past attacks of fever coming on every day at the same hour had been consuming him nevertheless whenever he forgot to control the black eyes which lighted his yellow face they shone out ardently with the glow of his fiery soul he bowed and then in fluent french introduced himself in this simple fashion don vigilio monsieur l'abbé who is entirely at your service if you are willing we will go down pierre immediately followed him expressing his thanks and don vigilio relapsing into silence answered his remarks with a smile having descended the small staircase they found themselves on the second floor on the spacious landing of the grand staircase and pierre was surprised and saddened by the scanty illumination which as in some dingy lodging-house was limited to a few gas-jets placed far apart their yellow splotches but faintly relieving the deep gloom of the lofty endless corridors all was gigantic and funereal even on the landing where was the entrance to donna seraphina's apartments facing those occupied by her niece nothing indicated that a reception was being held that evening the door remained closed not a sound came from the rooms a death-like silence arose from the whole palace and don vigilio did not even ring but after a fresh bow discreetly turned the door handle a single petroleum lamp placed on a table lighted the anteroom a large apartment with bare fresco-painted walls simulating hangings of red and gold draped regularly all around in the antique fashion 
a few men's overcoats and two ladies' mantles lay on the chairs, whilst a pier-table was littered with hats, and a servant sat there dozing, with his back to the wall. However, as Don Vigilio stepped aside to allow Pierre to enter a first reception-room, hung with red brocatelle, a room but dimly lighted and which he imagined to be empty, the young priest found himself face to face with an apparition in black, a woman whose features he could not at first distinguish. Fortunately, he heard his companion say with a low bow, Contesina, I have the honour to present to you Monsieur l'abbé Pierre Fromant, who arrived from France this morning. Then, for a moment, Pierre remained alone with Benedetta, in that deserted salone, in the sleepy glimmer of two lace-veiled lamps. At present, however, a sound of voices came from a room beyond, a larger apartment whose doorway, with folding doors thrown wide open, described a parallelogram of brighter light. The young woman at once showed herself very affable, with perfect simplicity of manner. Ah, oh, I am happy to see you, Monsieur Labie. I was afraid that your indisposition might be serious. You are quite recovered now, are you not? Pierre listened to her, fascinated by her slow and rather thick voice, in which restrained passion seemed to mingle with much prudent good sense. And at last he saw her, with her hair so heavy and so dark, her skin so white, the whiteness of ivory. She had a round face, with somewhat full lips, a small refined nose, features as delicate as a child's. But it was especially her eyes that lived, immense eyes, whose infinite depths none could fathom. Was she slumbering? Was she dreaming? Did her motionless face conceal the ardent tension of a great saint and a great amorosa? So white, so young, and so calm, her every movement was harmonious, her appearance at once very staid, very noble, and very rhythmical. In her ears she wore two large pearls of matchless purity, pearls which had come from a famous necklace of her mother's, known throughout Rome. Pierre apologized and thanked her. You see me in confusion, madame, said he. I should have liked to express to you this morning my gratitude for your great kindness. He had hesitated to call her madame, remembering the plea brought forward in the suit for the dissolution of her marriage. But plainly enough everybody must call her madame. Moreover, her face had retained its calm and kindly expression. "'Consider yourself at home here, Monsieur l'abbé,' she responded, wishing to put him at his ease. "'It is sufficient that our relative, Monsieur de la Choux, should be fond of you, and take interest in your work. I have, you know, much affection for him.' Then her voice faltered slightly, for she realised that she ought to speak of the book, the one reason of Pierre's journey and her proffered hospitality." yes she added the viscount sent me your book i read it and found it very beautiful it disturbed me but i am only an ignoramus and certainly failed to understand everything in it we must talk it over together you will explain your ideas to me won't you monsieur l'abbé in her large clear eyes which did not know how to lie pierre then read the surprise and emotion of a child's soul when confronted by disquieting and undreamt-of problems so it was not she who had become impassioned and had desired to have him near her that she might sustain him and assist his victory. Once again, and this time very keenly, he suspected a secret influence, a hidden hand which was directing everything towards some unknown goal. However, he was charmed by so much simplicity and frankness in so beautiful, young and noble a creature, and he gave himself to her after the exchange of those few words, and was about to tell her that she might absolutely dispose of him, when he was interrupted by the advent of another woman, 
whose tall slight figure also clad in black stood out strongly against the luminous background of the further reception room as seen through the open doorway well benedetta have you sent giacomo up to see asked the newcomer don vigilio has just come down and he is quite alone it is improper no no aunt monsieur l'abbé is here was the reply of benedetta hastening to introduce the young priest monsieur l'abbé pierre Fromont, the princess Bocanera. ceremonious salutations were exchanged the princess must have been nearly sixty but she laced herself so tightly that from behind one might have taken her for a young woman this tight lacing however was her last coquetry her hair though still plentiful was quite white her eyebrows alone remaining black in her long wrinkled face from which she projected the large obstinate nose of the family she had never been beautiful and had remained a spinster wounded to the heart by the selection of count brandini who had preferred her younger sister ernesta from that moment she had resolved to seek consolation and satisfaction in family pride alone the hereditary pride of the great name which she bore the bocaneras had already supplied two popes to the church and she hoped that before she died her brother would become the third she had transformed herself into his housekeeper as it were remaining with him watching over him and advising him managing all the household affairs herself and accomplishing miracles in order to conceal the slow ruin which was bringing the ceilings about their heads if every monday for thirty years past she had continued receiving a few intimates all of them folks of the vatican it was from high political considerations so that her drawing-room might remain a meeting-place of the black world a power and a threat and pierre divined by her greeting that she deemed him of little account petty foreign priest that he was not even a prelate this too again surprised him again brought the puzzling question to the fore why had he been invited what was expected of him in this society from which the humble were usually excluded knowing the princess to be austerely devout he at last fancied that she received him solely out of regard for her kinsman the viscount for in her turn she only found these words of welcome we are so pleased to receive good news of monsieur de la choux he brought us such a beautiful pilgrimage two years ago passing the first through the doorway she at last ushered the young priest into the adjoining reception room it was a spacious square apartment hung with old yellow brocatelle of a flowery louis the fourteenth pattern the lofty ceiling was adorned with a very fine panelling carved and coloured with gilded roses in each compartment the furniture however was of all sorts there were some high mirrors a couple of superb gilded pier tables and a few handsome seventeenth-century armchairs but all the rest was wretched a heavy round table of first empire style which had come nobody knew whence caught the eye with a medley of anomalous articles picked up at some bazaar and a quantity of cheap photographs littered the costly marble tops of the pier tables no interesting article of virtu was to be seen the old paintings on the walls were with two exceptions feebly executed there was a delightful example of an unknown primitive master a fourteenth-century visitation in which the virgin had the stature and pure delicacy of a child of ten whilst the archangel huge and superb inundated her with a stream of dazzling superhuman love and in front of this hung an antique family portrait depicting a very beautiful young girl in a turban who was thought to be cassia bocanera the amorosa and avengeress who had flung herself into the tiber with her brother ercole and the corpse of her lover flavio corradini four lamps threw a broad peaceful glow over the faded room and like a melancholy sunset tinged it with yellow it looked grave and bare 
with not even a flower in a vase to brighten it in a few words donna serafina at once introduced pierre to the company and in the silence the pause which ensued in the conversation he felt that every eye was fixed upon him as upon a promised and expected curiosity there were altogether some ten persons present among them being dario who stood talking with little princess celia buon giovanni whilst the elderly relative who had brought the latter sat whispering to a prelate monsignor nani in a dim corner pierre however had been particularly struck by the name of consistorial advocate morano of whose position in the house viscount de la choux had thought proper to inform him in order to avert any unpleasant blunder for thirty years past morano had been donna serafina's amico their connection formerly a guilty one for the advocate had wife and children of his own had in the course of time since he had been left a widower become one of those liaisons which tolerant people excuse and accept both parties were extremely devout and had certainly assured themselves of all needful indulgences and thus morano was there in the seat which he had always taken for a quarter of a century past a seat beside the chimney-piece though as yet the winter fire had not been lighted and when donna serafina had discharged her duties as mistress of the house she returned to her own place in front of him on the other side of the chimney when pierre in his turn had seated himself near don vigilio who silent and discreet had already taken a chair dario resumed in a louder voice the story which he had been relating to celia dario was a handsome man of average height slim and elegant he wore a full beard dark and carefully tended and had the long face and pronounced nose of the bocaneras but the impoverishment of the family blood over a course of centuries had attenuated softened as it were any sharpness or undue prominence of feature oh a beauty an astounding beauty he repeated emphatically whose beauty asked benedetta approaching him celia who resembled the little virgin of the primitive master hanging above her head began to laugh oh dario's speaking of a poor girl a work-girl whom he met to-day she explained thereupon dario had to begin his narrative again it appeared that while passing along a narrow street near the piazza navona he had perceived a tall shapely girl of twenty who was weeping and sobbing violently prone upon a flight of steps touched particularly by her beauty he had approached her and learnt that she had been working in the house outside which she was a manufactory of wax beads but that slack times having come the workshops had closed and she did not dare to return home so fearful was the misery there amidst the downpour of her tears she raised such beautiful eyes to his that he ended by drawing some money from his pocket but at this crimson with confusion she sprang to her feet hiding her hands in the folds of her skirt and refusing to take anything she added however that he might follow her if it so pleased him and give the money to her mother and then she hurried off towards the ponte sant'angelo yes she was a beauty a perfect beauty repeated dario with an air of ecstasy taller than i and slim though sturdy with the bosom of a goddess in fact a real antique a venus of twenty her chin rather bold her mouth and nose of perfect form and her eyes wonderfully pure and large and she was bareheaded too with nothing but a crown of heavy black hair and a dazzling face gilded so to say by the sun they had all begun to listen to him enraptured full of that passionate admiration for beauty which in spite of every change rome still retains in her heart those beautiful girls of the people are becoming very rare remarked morano you might scour the trastevere without finding any however this proves that there is at least one of them left 
and what was your goddess's name asked benedetta smiling amused and enraptured like the others pierina replied dario also with a laugh and what did you do with her at this question the young man's excited face assumed an expression of discomfort and fear like the face of a child on suddenly encountering some ugly creature amidst its play oh don't talk of it said he i felt very sorry afterwards i saw such misery enough to make one ill yielding to his curiosity it seemed he had followed the girl across the ponte sant'angelo into the new district which was being built over the former castle meadows and there on the first floor of an abandoned house which was already falling into ruins though the plaster was scarcely dry he had come upon a frightful spectacle which still stirred his heart a whole family father and mother children and an infirm old uncle dying of hunger and rotting in filth he selected the most dignified words he could think of to describe the scene waving his hand the while with a gesture of fright as if to ward off some horrible vision at last he concluded i ran away and you may be sure that i shan't go back again a general wagging of heads ensued in the cold irksome silence which fell upon the room then morano summed up the matter in a few bitter words in which he accused the despoilers the men of the quirinal of being the sole cause of all the frightful misery of rome were not people even talking of the approaching nomination of deputy sacco as minister of finances sacco that intriguer who had engaged in all sorts of underhand practices his appointment would be the climax of impudence bankruptcy would speedily and infallibly ensue meantime benedetta who had fixed her eyes on pierre with his book in her mind alone murmured poor people how very sad but why not go back to see them pierre out of his element and absent-minded during the earlier moments had been deeply stirred by the latter part of dario's narrative his thoughts reverted to his apostolate amidst the misery of paris and his heart was touched with compassion at being confronted by the story of such fearful sufferings on the very day of his arrival in rome unwittingly impulsively he raised his voice and said aloud oh we will go to see them together madame you will take me these questions impassion me so much the attention of everybody was then again turned upon the young priest the others questioned him and he realized that they were all anxious about his first impressions his opinion of their city and of themselves he must not judge rome by mere outward appearances they said what effect had the city produced on him how had he found it and what did he think of it thereupon he politely apologized for his inability to answer them he had not yet gone out said he and had seen nothing but this answer was of no avail they pressed him all the more keenly and he fully understood that their object was to gain him over to admiration and love they advised him adjured him not to yield to any fatal disillusion but to persist and wait until rome should have revealed to him her soul how long do you expect to remain among us monsieur l'abbé suddenly inquired a courteous voice with a clear but gentle ring it was monsignor nani who seated in the gloom thus raised his voice for the first time on several occasions it had seemed to pierre that the prelate's keen blue eyes were steadily fixed upon him though all the while he pretended to be attentively listening to the drawling chatter of celia's aunt and before replying pierre glanced at him in his crimson-edged cassock with a violet silk sash drawn tightly around his waist nani still looked young although he was over fifty his hair had remained blonde he had a straight refined nose a mouth very firm yet very delicate of contour and beautifully white teeth 
why a fortnight or perhaps three weeks monsignor replied pierre but everybody protested what three weeks it was his pretension to know rome in three weeks why six weeks twelve months ten years were required the first impression was always a disastrous one and a long sojourn was needed for a visitor to recover from it three weeks repeated donna serafina with her disdainful air is it possible for people to study one another and get fond of one another in three weeks those who come back to us are those who have learned to know us instead of launching into exclamations like the others nanny had at first contented himself with smiling and gently waving his shapely hand which bespoke his aristocratic origin then as pierre modestly explained himself saying that he had come to rome to attend to certain matters and would leave again as soon as those matters should have been concluded the prelate still smiling summed up the argument with the remark oh monsieur l'abbé will stay with us for more than three weeks we shall have the happiness of his presence here for a long time i hope these words though spoken with quiet cordiality strangely disturbed the young priest what was known what was meant he leant towards don vigilio who had remained near him still and ever silent and in a whisper inquired who is monsignor nanni the secretary however did not at once reply his feverish face became yet more livid then his ardent eyes glanced round to make sure that nobody was watching him and in a breath he responded he is the assessor of the holy office this information sufficed for pierre was not ignorant of the fact that the assessor who was present in silence at the meetings of the holy office waited upon his holiness every wednesday evening after the sitting to render him an account of the matters dealt with in the afternoon this weekly audience this hour spent with the pope in a privacy which allowed of every subject being broached gave the assessor an exceptional position one of considerable power moreover the office led to the cardinalate the only rise that could be given to the assessor was his promotion to the sacred college monsignor nanni who seemed so perfectly frank and amiable continued to look at the young priest with such an encouraging air that the latter felt obliged to go and occupy the seat beside him which Celia's old aunt at last vacated after all was there not an omen of victory in meeting on the very day of his arrival a powerful prelate whose influence would perhaps open every door to him he therefore felt very touched when monsignor nanni immediately after the first words inquired in a tone of deep interest and so my dear child you have published a book after this gradually mastered by his enthusiasm and forgetting where he was pierre unbosomed himself and recounted the birth and progress of his burning love amidst the sick and the humble gave voice to his dream of a return to the olden christian community and triumphed with the rejuvenescence of catholicism developing into the one religion of the universal democracy little by little he again raised his voice and silence fell around him in the stern antique reception room every one lending ear to his words with increasing surprise with a growing coldness of which he remained unconscious at last nani gently interrupted him still wearing his perpetual smile the faint irony of which however had departed no doubt no doubt my dear child he said it is very beautiful oh very beautiful well worthy of the pure and noble imagination of a christian but what do you count on doing now i shall go straight to the holy father to defend myself answered pierre a light restrained laugh went round and donna serafina expressed the general opinion by exclaiming the holy father isn't seen as easily as that pierre however was quite impassioned 
well for my part he rejoined i hope i shall see him have i not expressed his views have i not defended his policy can he let my book be condemned when i believe that i have taken inspiration from all that is best in him no doubt no doubt nani again hastily replied as if he feared that the others might be too brusque with the young enthusiast the holy father has such a lofty mind and of course it would be necessary to see him only my dear child you must not excite yourself so much reflect a little take your time and turning to benedetta he added of course his eminence has not seen abbe froment yet it would be well however that he should receive him to-morrow morning to guide him with his wise counsel cardinal bocanera never attended his sister's monday evening receptions still he was always there in the spirit like some absent sovereign master to tell the truth replied the contesina hesitating i fear that my uncle does not share monsieur l'abbé's views nani again smiled exactly he will tell him things which it is good he should hear thereupon it was at once settled with don vigilio that the latter would put down the young priest's name for an audience on the following morning at ten o'clock however at that moment a cardinal came in clad in town costume his sash and his stockings red but his simar black with a red edging and red buttons it was cardinal sarno a very old intimate of the bocaneras and whilst he apologized for arriving so late through press of work the company became silent and deferentially clustered round him this was the first cardinal pierre had seen and he felt greatly disappointed for the newcomer had none of the majesty none of the fine port and presence to which he had looked forward on the contrary he was short and somewhat deformed with the left shoulder higher than the right and a worn ashen face with lifeless eyes to pierre he looked like some old clerk of seventy half stupefied by fifty years of office work dulled and bent by incessantly leaning over his writing desk ever since his youth and indeed that was sarno's story the puny child of a petty middle-class family he had been educated at the seminario romano then later he had for ten years professed canon law at that same seminary afterwards becoming one of the secretaries of the congregation for the propagation of the faith finally five-and-twenty years ago he had been created a cardinal and the jubilee of his cardinalate had recently been celebrated born in rome he had always lived there he was the perfect type of the prelate who through growing up in the shade of the vatican has become one of the masters of the world although he had never occupied any diplomatic post he had rendered such important services to the propaganda by his methodical habits of work that he had become president of one of the two commissions which furthered the interests of the church in those vast countries of the west which are not yet catholic and thus in the depths of his dim eyes behind his low dull-looking brow the huge map of christendom was stored away nani himself had risen full of covert respect for the unobtrusive but terrible man whose hand was everywhere even in the most distant corners of the earth although he had never left his office as nani knew despite his apparent nullity sarno with his slow methodical ably organized work of conquest possessed sufficient power to set empires in confusion has your eminence recovered from that cold which distressed us so much asked nani no no i still cough there is a most malignant passage at the offices i feel as cold as ice as soon as i leave my room from that moment pierre felt quite little virtually lost he was not even introduced to the cardinal and yet he had to remain in the room for nearly another hour looking around and observing 
that antiquated world then seemed to him puerile as though it had lapsed into a mournful second childhood under all the apparent haughtiness and proud reserve he could divine real timidity unacknowledged distrust born of great ignorance if the conversation did not become general it was because nobody dared to speak out frankly and what he heard in the corners was simply so much childish chatter the petty gossip of the week the trivial echoes of sacristies and drawing-rooms people saw but little of one another and the slightest incidents assumed huge proportions at last pierre ended by feeling as though he were transported into some salon of the time of charles x in one of the episcopal cities of the french provinces no refreshments were served Celia's old aunt secured possession of cardinal sarno but instead of replying to her he simply wagged his head from time to time don vigilio had not opened his mouth the whole evening however a conversation in a very low tone was started by nani and morano to whom donna serafina listened leaning forward and expressing her approval by slowly nodding her head they were doubtless speaking of the dissolution of benedetta's marriage for they glanced at the young woman gravely from time to time and in the centre of the spacious room in the sleepy glow of the lamps there were only the young people benedetta dario and celia who seemed to be at all alive chattering in undertones and occasionally repressing a burst of laughter all at once pierre was struck by the great resemblance between benedetta and the portrait of cassia hanging on the wall each displayed the same delicate youth the same passionate mouth the same large unfathomable eyes set in the same round sensible healthy-looking face in each there was certainly the same upright soul the same heart of flame then a recollection came to pierre that of a painting by guido reni the adorable candid head of beatrice cenci which at that moment and to his thinking the portrait of cassia closely resembled this resemblance stirred him and he glanced at benedetta with anxious sympathy as if all the fierce fatality of race and country were about to fall on her but no it could not be she looked so calm so resolute and so patient besides ever since he had entered that room he had noticed none other than signs of gay fraternal tenderness between her and dario especially on her side for her face ever retained the bright serenity of a love which may be openly confessed at one moment it is true dario in a joking way had caught hold of her hands and pressed them but while he began to laugh rather nervously with a brighter gleam darting from his eyes she on her side all composure slowly freed her hands as though theirs was but the play of old and affectionate friends she loved him though it was visible with her whole being and for her whole life at last when dario after stifling a slight yawn and glancing at his watch had slipped off to join some friends who were playing cards at a lady's house benedetta and celia sat down together on a sofa near pierre and the latter without wishing to listen overheard a few words of their confidential chat the little princess was the eldest daughter of prince matteo buongiovanni who was already the father of five children by an english wife a mortimer to whom he was indebted for a dowry of two hundred thousand pounds indeed the buongiovannis were known as one of the few patrician families of rome that were still rich still erect among the ruins of the past now crumbling on every side they also numbered two popes among their forerunners yet this had not prevented prince matteo from lending support to the quirinal without quarrelling with the vatican son of an american woman no longer having the pure roman blood in his veins he was a more supple politician than other aristocrats and was also folks said extremely grasping struggling to be one of the last to retain the wealth and power of olden times 
which he realized were condemned to death yet it was in his family renowned for its superb pride and yet its continued magnificence that a love romance had lately taken birth a romance which was the subject of endless gossip Celia had suddenly fallen in love with a young lieutenant to whom she had never spoken her love was reciprocated and the passionate attachment of the officer and the girl only found vent in the glances they exchanged on meeting each day during the usual drive through the corso nevertheless Celia displayed a tenacious will and after declaring to her father that she would never take any other husband she was waiting firm and resolute in the certainty that she would ultimately secure the man of her choice the worst of the affair was that the lieutenant attilio sacco happened to be the son of deputy sacco a parvenu whom the black world looked down upon as upon one sold to the Girinal and ready to undertake the very dirtiest jobs it was for me that morano spoke just now celia murmured in benedetta's ear yes yes when he spoke so harshly of attilio's father and that ministerial appointment which people are talking about he wanted to give me a lesson the two girls had sworn eternal affection in their school days and benedetta the elder by five years showed herself maternal and so she said you've not become a whit more reasonable you still think of that young man what are you going to grieve me too dear replied celia i love attilio and mean to have him yes him and not another i want him and i'll have him because i love him and he loves me it's simple enough pierre glanced at her thunderstruck with her gentle virgin face she was like a candid budding lily a brow and a nose of blossom-like purity a mouth all innocence with its lips closing over pearly teeth and eyes like spring water clear and fathomless and not a quiver passed over her cheeks of satiny freshness no sign however faint of anxiety or inquisitiveness appeared in her candid glance did she think did she know who could have answered she was virginity personified with all its redoubtable mystery ah my dear resumed benedetta don't begin my sad story over again one doesn't succeed in marrying the pope and the king all tranquillity celia responded but you didn't love prada whereas i love attilio life lies in that one must love these words spoken so naturally by that ignorant child disturbed pierre to such a point that he felt tears rising to his eyes love yes therein lay the solution of every quarrel the alliance between the nations the reign of peace and joy throughout the world however donna seraphina had now risen shrewdly suspecting the nature of the conversation which was impassioning the two girls and she gave don vigilio a glance which the latter understood for he came to tell pierre in an undertone that it was time to retire eleven o'clock was striking and celia went off with her aunt advocate morano however doubtless desired to retain cardinal sarno and nani for a few moments in order that they might privately discuss some difficulty which had arisen in the divorce proceedings on reaching the outer reception room benedetta after kissing celia on both cheeks took leave of pierre with much good grace in answering the viscount to-morrow morning said she i shall tell him how happy we are to have you with us and for longer than you think don't forget to come down at ten o'clock to see my uncle the cardinal having climbed to the third floor again pierre and don vigilio each carrying a candlestick which the servant had handed to them were about to part for the night when the former could not refrain from asking the secretary a question which had been worrying him for hours is monsignor nani a very influential personage 
don vigilio again became quite scared and simply replied by a gesture opening his arms as if to embrace the world then his eyes flashed and in his turn he seemed to yield to inquisitiveness you already knew him didn't you he inquired i not at all really well he knows you very well last monday i heard him speak of you in such precise terms that he seemed to be acquainted with the slightest particulars of your career and your character why i never even heard his name before then he must have procured information thereupon don vigilio bowed and entered his room whilst pierre surprised to find his door open saw victorine come out with her calm active air ah monsieur l'abbé i wanted to make sure that you had everything you were likely to want there are candles water sugar and matches and what do you take in the morning please coffee no a cup of milk with a roll very good at eight o'clock eh and now rest and sleep well i was awfully afraid of ghosts during the first nights i spent in this old palace but i never saw a trace of one the fact is when people are dead they are too well pleased and don't want to break their rest then off she went and pierre at last found himself alone glad to be able to shake off the strain imposed on him to free himself from the discomfort which he had felt in that reception room among those people who in his mind still mingled and vanished like shadows in the sleepy glow of the lamps ghosts thought he are the old dead ones of long ago whose distressed spirits return to love and suffer in the breasts of the living of to-day and despite his long afternoon rest he had never felt so weary so desirous of slumber confused and foggy as was his mind full of the fear that he had hitherto not understood things aright when he began to undress his astonishment at being in that room returned to him with such intensity that he almost fancied himself another person what did all those people think of his book why had he been brought to this cold dwelling whose hostility he could divine was it for the purpose of helping him or conquering him and again in the yellow glimmer the dismal sunset of the drawing-room he perceived donna serafina and advocate morano on either side of the chimney-piece whilst behind the calm yet passionate visage of benedetta appeared the smiling face of monsignor nani with cunning eyes and lips bespeaking indomitable energy he went to bed but soon got up again stifling feeling such a need of fresh free air that he opened the window wide in order to lean out but the night was black as ink the darkness had submerged the horizon a mist must have hidden the stars in the firmament the vault above seemed opaque and heavy like lead and yonder in front the houses of the trastevere had long since been asleep not one of all their windows glittered there was but a single gaslight shining all alone and far away like a lost spark in vain did pierre seek the janiculum in the depths of that ocean of nihility all sunk and vanished rome's four-and-twenty centuries the ancient palatine and the modern quirinal even the giant dome of st peter's blotted out from the sky by the flood of gloom and below him he could not see he could not even hear the tiber the dead river flowing past the dead city End of section 4